Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley, and we are in December 23rd, 2020. We're ready to begin our Bible study. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we had this evening. Thank you for life, health, and strength that is ours this evening. We pray for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding as we approach your word. We're asking that you would challenge us by the verses that are ahead of us. Help us to see what the spirit of truth reveals in the, in the, in the context there for us. Father, we pray for those associated with Word is Truth, those of us who are sick, those who, whose health is failing, who, who are, have the COVID virus. We pray for uh, this world, uh, that this vaccine will be spread so that uh, we can try to get back to some normal um, behaviors. So, Father, we pray for believers all over this world, wherever they may be, whatever country they're in, they are brothers and sisters. Father, we're praying for the mission that we have to go out and make this message known, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ everywhere. Give us courage so that we can go and, and be bold for your glory. All this we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So, as you know, we are studying in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 8. We'll get there tonight. The verse we're going to try to see is verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So we'll, we'll try to look at that phrase tonight, see what we can come up with. But in the meantime, we have a little time. We'll take it for some Q&A. If there are some comments, questions, thoughts, ideas uh, about anything we covered, what are you seeing in the scriptures? Uh, what's on your mind? The floor is open. Um, I, I have I have a, a question, and I think it's a quick one. Um, Go right ahead. Know, I, I do want to make a comment that, and, you know, almost we're talking about New Testament. Um, it, it's very plain to me that it's the uh, cohesion and how this all is connected. And we're talking about Christ, the centerpiece of God's creation, mm -hmm. uh, and the sons of God being revealed, uh, how everything is wrapped up in that. Mm -hmm. So uh, Colossians uh, 2.16, um, 2.16 says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink in regard to religious festival or new moon celebration or Sabbath day. And clearly, it says, now I've read this scripture so many times. It says, these are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. It's so plain. Uh, there's everything connects. But my, my question is, 
really about 218 and these angels do not let anyone who delights in false humility and worship and the worship of angels disqualify you such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen they are puffed up with their idle notions by their unspiritual mind now of course you know i go into the commentary and i see this it's about you know the beginning of heresy it says uh you know false religions cults but it doesn't specifically mention in the commentary what exactly they're talking about the worship of angels mm -hmm. and what was that about so it's just said the commentary didn't clear it up for me the way I needed to have it cleared up. So I wonder, can you shed any light on it? Uh, I can't really shed too much. This is really a, a historical uh, thing that is mentioned here. Uh, we we can pick apart some of it, uh, but the context of you know this has to do with what you already said. Don't let anyone judge you by these things so these are things that might have been influential in the day uh, paul wrote this and i would say just as we understand what they were going through and how they were supposed to deal with it that's more important than us knowing exactly what was the uh the ism or schism that they were involved in or, or those things that were uh, really prevalent in their day so some of um some of this has to do with uh what what is termed gnosticism now from what i'm told and i've read this that gnosticism really didn't take hold until the second century like really strongly so but what happened in the first century is uh the beginnings and uh foundations of Gnosticism were already beginning to uh, take hold so that's what a lot of this is and and hopefully you remember from our first John I don't know if you would remember but from our first John study uh, we found that Gnosticism has two strains uh, one was uh, asceticism meaning uh, you have to abstain from all these worldly things, you know, like it's verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And so that's how they saw. And listen, even still with whatever, whether it was asceticism or the other strain, which was uh, more trending toward lawlessness and lasciviousness, which they said the flesh really doesn't count for anything it's not about the flesh you can go ahead and indulge the flesh all you want it is fine to do so it's really about knowledge and you you know so both of them had that same ideal which trended toward knowledge you know you could really think about it like uh and there's probably no modern day thing to to associate it with but the knowledge was like uh, masons had if you look at uh, the masonic lodge the people there feel that they're getting some special knowledge so they're very proud and puffed up about it and and there's degrees of understanding and people are you know 
advancing and some are at this level and some are at that level and, and that knowledge does not is not the knowledge of God so you know it, it's an attack on the church and many people were swayed by that they were impressed by it in fact that's where you see those things in first John those warnings brothers don't believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God and so God, John was already uh, given the charge to warn against it. So did Jude. Remember we talked about on Sunday. Jude said, I wanted to write about this marvelous salvation we share, but I thought better that I need to write to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Then he goes into the attacks that were on the church uh, in his day as well. So you find almost in every book, some not only is some admonition about you know make sure we do this make sure you know understand this but also watch out for that uh, we have that in, in all of our probably all and I wouldn't say all but uh, quite a few books have information about what you need to be careful to be to, to keep yourself from and Colossians is no you know is no exception here it definitely deals with some of these isms and uh, one of the this whole you know when I used to look at Colossians 2 16 uh, and therefore do not let let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival now when you think about that how can the law be enforced how can it be enforced if Paul says something like this I mean, the law was very clear about what you should eat or drink. I, I could not be any clearer between Leviticus chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. It's, it's laid out, not only is it laid out, it's laid out in great detail. So for Paul, who is a Pharisee, who knows those chapters, he could never say this, what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival. Or, now, see, notice, it's what you eat or drink. So, you eat whatever you want. If, the sentence could be have a period at the end, right there. You could eat, and Paul says, nothing is to be refused. Nothing. Or with re, Then he says, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. So, there's no Sabbath, holy day, no... And actually, one of these is just translated, or holy day, hagias, right, himera. And that is literally to say that there is no such thing as a holy day for us in this age. One man considers one day above another as holy. Another man esteems every day as holy, which let every person be persuaded in his own mind. That's Romans 14. So you can't tell people uh, that there's some holy day, right? There is no holy day in this age. Uh, there's, we're not really in time. When you think about the church, our, the church is a dispensation that was hidden. Uh, it, it does not adhere to the standards and principles of other dispensations. It is something God is doing 
that he prepared this whole plan for to get to this point. So now he's doing it. And there is, you're not under the law. There is no Jew, no Gentile, none of those things when it comes to those who are in Christ. So, no, I don't have direct information about what these things are, although we could pick them apart and see a lot of uh, false humility and worship of angels disqualify you. And why would it disqualify you? Because you think that those things have merit, and really they don't. They're distractions. Yeah, so we have to be careful. Notice they're puffed up with the idle notions of their unspiritual mind. And they've lost connection with the head. And from the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? As though you still belong to the world. Not Listen. We are not of this world. We don't belong to it. So those things that were in the Mosaic Law, those distinctions, are not. A, we're not a part of what that is. I don't know what else you could use to distinguish who we are over against those who are in the world. They're, well, Jesus said it best. They are no, no. Uh, they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. We are just like Christ. We, are, we don't belong down here anymore. We were. We were born in this world, but not once the baptism of the Spirit happened for us, we no longer can associate ourselves with this world. So these are interesting verses to me because it helps us distinguish not only who we are, but don't fall into the traps that are set here by the enemy to distract us, to cause us to become casualties on the battlefield, to nullify our effectiveness, to, uh, to discredit our testimony in the world. So all those things will do that. If you get caught up into those things, you're going to end up thinking you're under the law or you... You're some kind of Israel, or, or you're, you're puffed up with, some, you know, you think you got some superior knowledge or, and wisdom when you have departed from uh, what God has given us in Christ. So, uh, I don't have direct information, but I would say, generally speaking. Now, now let's just bring this into today, and I'm almost done here to th with this thought. We can ask... What are some of the uh, isms and schisms that we, we have to deal with today? Right? What, what If you were writing, now that you live in 2020, what would you say uh, that people need to be aware of? And why, why do I say that? Because there are different things going on today. Some similar, but there are also different things going on that we need to be concerned with. What would you say some of those things would be? Or even one. It's this name one. Money, money in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for sale. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a big one, isn't it? 
That's a big one. And then people can get caught in false agendas. The other one would be... Go ahead, Bill. What religion. Religion and, and what, what way? They want. The other one would be religion. People still trying to uh, gain their own approbation by the things they do to please God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that's a, in fact, that's a staple. That was going on even with the Jews who had the law. They thought, well, God keep the law in order to be saved, right? So, so sure, I gotta, I gotta, just believing is not gonna cut it. I gotta show God that you know I'm worthy of salvation. So absolutely, religion was there. It's there today. Yeah, it's in force. So, Fred mentioned uh, money. That's a big one. And the money was there and in the Bible too. So God told us, don't be lovers of money. Right? People fall into all kinds of uh, uh, traps because they love money. You know, those, uh, who said it? There's a sucker born every minute. <laughs> Somebody said that. I'm not calling anybody here sucker, but <laughs> it's just what this is to say is, is that people... Uh, because of their need, need for money. Yes, yeah. Because they know people want. So approaching people knowing they want, you have an advantage over them. You can deceive them. You can trick them into, you know, oh, I got what you need, you know. Um, snake oil sales salesmen, you know, same thing. So not only that, there's another trend that I see. There's a couple more I could point out. I would just point one out as well. Emotions. So people today are involved in the religion of emotion. That they come together. It's a it's an emotional uh, wind right, that comes through and sweeps everybody up, and they're all caught up in this what they call the Holy Spirit, and and you know some of those emotional things that speaking in tongues, all those things, uh, I think is a distraction as well. Uh, they are taking people, uh, making them think that the spirit of truth is the spirit of emotion instead of truth. And they're not seeking truth, they're seeking to be immersed in more and more emotional activity. So these are some of the, some of the things that we have to fight against today, to stand against. Um, Making sure that we don't fall, not only do we not fall victim to them, but that we are able to uh, correctly handle the word of truth and help people understand that that is not the way. That is, that is not the way we conduct ourselves. So I'll pause. Thank you, Doug. Uh, you know, to me, uh, I see, <clears throat> so you were reading. When we read 216, 217, uh, Colossians answers it so specifically to me that it's undeniable. Uh, it says, these are a shadow of things that were to come. Mm -hmm. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So they're just a shadow of things that were to come. And the mystery and the uh, is found in Christ. Yeah, you, you don't find it in religious festivals, a Sabbath days, new moons, uh, eat what you eat, what you what you don't eat, and all this other stuff. 
in Christ. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I joke about what people eat because, you know, I grew up with a restricted diet and and some of the things that people eat may be foreign to me. And, you know, it's, I w I've always made a joke out of it. But really, uh, aside from my uh, humor, go ahead and eat anything you want to eat. It is, I don't have to tell you that. People are doing it. <laughs> I'm not giving you any permission here. But I'm, I'm only according to what the scripture says. Don't let anybody judge you with regard to those things. That, you know, that is not who you are. Don't feel like you need to come under. Look at, look at the um, Galatians. These people were preaching circumcision. And these, the Galatians were considering being circumcised as a result of it, thinking that, well, I, they probably have a point here, and maybe that I think I will be circumcised. Okay. You know, they thought that that was something that was a part of their um, salvation and their connection to God, like Israel. Uh, that was a part of their covenant. Well, we're not Israel. And that no longer is something that is enforced for us. Uh, you could be circumcised, you could be uncircumcised. It doesn't matter. And, well, Paul made that clear in the Galatians. So, these are things that, you know, have to be called out. Have to be distinguished, or else people won't know what is the surpassing glory that we have. They won't know how glorious the ministry of the Spirit is over what was previous. All right, so I'll pause. All right, so it looks like we're Thank headed. You. Thank you for that. You're welcome. You. Glad, glad for the question. Thank you. So um, let's go back to Romans, where we are, and let's dig in. You have, you should have notes, by the way. Uh, so. I'm going to pull mine up as we speak, and we'll look into Romans chapter 8, verse 33. But before we do, let's read a little bit from 8.28, just so we can pick up to where we left off. 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What, then, shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So that's the, the verse, verse 833. As you can see, we are coming, and if I were to go back even further, you could see the deep water that we are in and this is all from God's perspective. So I want to start with the first phrase, who will bring any charge? So the Father demonstrated that he is for us. So that's the thought, even from the previous verse. He didn't even spare his own son. He, he delivered him over to judgment. 
And we already talked about the type of judgment that the father visited upon the son, which is uh, he imputed our sins to him on the cross while he was on the cross. And then he, when we say he judged him, <laughs> that means he punished him. And he punished him for your sins, for our sins. And until he continued to punish him, until he was satisfied, or what we would say, propitiated. And it doesn't matter if you're satisfied, or I'm satisfied, or some other church is satisfied. It doesn't matter. What matters is that the Father is satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf. And that's what that word propitiation means. That, that word brings it all together because, yeah, Christ died for our sins. Yeah, he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, we could say that, yeah, he came, he was unique, a body you have prepared for me. Uh, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. All that is fine. However, if the Father is not satisfied with the work of Christ in your behalf, none of it matters. It could be just like us trying to get God the Father's approval to be reconciled, and we can't because there is none righteous, not even one. So unless the Father is satisfied with the work of Christ, then all bets are off. And that's what happened. The Father certainly, not only did he sacrifice, he sent Christ. It was his plan to send Christ. Christ uh, successfully completed the plan by not only living a perfect life, you know, introducing the new age, dying on the cross, and the Father resurrected Christ, signifying that he was pleased with the work of Christ on our behalf. And so now, there's no question. The Father is the one who sent the Son to be, he chose this plan, and he put it into effect when he created all things through Christ. So he demonstrated that he's for us. And if you want to know, right, who matters? We already said this, right? Who, who could come against us and bring a charge against us? Uh, it, well, it, there are only two. There's only two people, two persons. Let's not say people. Two persons that could possibly do that. And that is the Father, which we will see in verse uh, 32 and 33. And then it is the Son, who we will see in verse 34. Those two, the Father and the Son, are the only ones who could possibly level a charge against us because they're the ones that matter here. But that is not the case. In fact, to the contrary, they positively worked their plan. They executed the plan. And they are satisfied with the work so far in the plan. So what did the Father do now that he has, like it says, when the time was fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that we might uh, receive the full adoption to sonship. So that's the period we're in now, receiving the, the full adoption to sonship, and that is uh, when we get our redemption, uh, the redemption of our bodies, uh, which is the resurrection, when he resurrects the church. So this is all, 
you know, as we have covered a lot of the detail here, uh, hopefully you can see this. So the Father demonstrated that he is for us. In fact, he's the one who was responsible for the plan. As I said, it was clearly his choice. So we already covered verse 17 uh, in this regard. You know how it says, um, verse 17, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in the sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And then 20 and 21, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So what we have in those verses literally is saying how not only we affect what happens in all creation, but it wasn't just us, it was the Father's doing. This was part of the eternal purpose of the Father. He chose this for us. And he chose this outcome. There's nothing we could have possibly done to affect this. I mean, in any way. When you think about who man is, uh, like the psalmist says, what is man that you would even think about him? He's so small on the scale of things. What is man that you will even be mindful of him? Well, God shows what it is here. He pays attention to detail, the smallest detail. We have been, not only do we, we are infused with the Spirit, we could say infused because we're, we're talking about those ministries of the Spirit, those five ministries. We could say that infuses us with God. We are uh, baptized by the Spirit. That's got to be number one. And then uh, there's really no particular order here. Filled with the Spirit, right? indwelt by the Spirit, gifted by the Spirit. Right? These are all things that happen as a result of, uh, of God, the Holy Spirit. And we are also gifted by God and the Holy Spirit. Those are things that uh, are now a part of our, not only our makeup, our persons, these things will be with us forever. Now, the gifts are meant for the battlefield. There's no doubt about that. Right? So we, we don't have to be thinking, okay, and when I get to heaven, I'm still going to have the gift of whatever I, I have. Obviously, that is for the battlefield, that we may, uh, they support the church, they are for the common good of the body and so forth. But those other gifts as well, are not gifts. They're all gifts, but uh, the baptism of the Spirit, we didn't earn or deserve it, the filling, uh, all those things. The sealing ministry is the guarantee of what God has uh, blessed us with from the heavenly realms. Right? The guarantee of that, all of those things speak of who we are and, and forever, not just temporarily. These things are part of who we are as uh, believers in the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's move on in our notes. So point B, the Apostle Paul will not only raise the ones who could possibly object to our calling, that's the Father and the Son. They're the only ones who could possibly object. There's really no one else who has a right to say anything. Uh, but even though we explored those who would oppose to be opposed to this, and that's the world, we said Satan, Israel, us, 
none of their objections can change anything that has been decided in the plan of God uh, by God's sovereign grace. That's just look, God's sovereign grace chose this for us. And no, nobody can change it. Now, we said there are two who could possibly object to it. And that is the Father and that's Christ. But that's silly almost to say that the Father would somehow object to this or that Christ would somehow object to this. This is, the cha- the, this is God's plan before time began. This is God's plan before the creation of the world. So I don't know how they would object to it in time. They won't. And we already read, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. All He predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There is nothing that can take away from what God has already done. It is literally reality in God's mind. It is just one thing that stands between God's reality and ours. Our, our physical reality, and that is time. When God's timing is done, then He will, uh, we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, whether whatever state we're in, whether we are alive on the ground, or whether we are have been absent from the body and present with the Lord. He will gather together those who are in Christ, who have, uh, who are under the this ministry where the Spirit has now brought us or infused us with God, literally. And this is now who we are. We will be caught up together. We shall not precede those who are asleep, and those who are asleep shall not precede us. It's all going to happen at the same time. So this is this has already been decided by God's sovereign grace before time began. So it's not something that God is, well, let me see how this works out. Let me, I'll judge it by, let's see how Israel does. And then after that, we'll, no, this is plan A. And there is no plan B. Uh, People, to the extent, are caught up in Israel, are also, to that extent, blind to the church age. The more time you you spend focused on Israel, the more time you spend depriving yourself of the calling that God has for you in Christ. The two purposes are something different. God's purpose for Israel, even though it's a component part of his eternal purpose, is not the same purpose for the church. They are of this world. We are not of this world. I could go on and talk about many things along those lines. So who could possibly be the ones? Paul's going to talk about the two people who could possibly say something, but, but yet the things that they do are conversely um, on, on this decidedly against uh, them saying that they are against us. They are for us. So if they're for us, if God planned this from eternity past, well, he's saying all these things so that we will have confidence in our calling. We can rest on these facts. You know, it's just like salvation. When you read the scriptures, you know, you, 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 you believe that salvation was by grace. You understood that it was Christ's work on the cross. We couldn't do a thing when it came to our salvation. We, when we understood that, 
and we finally believe, we, we put the matter of our soul salvation on Christ, and we, we actually begin to rest. The rest is really about confidence, because we read a lot of scriptures. We read where God, nothing can ever take us out. He will give us this water, and we will never thirst. Right? He who lives and believes in me will never die. And all of these things say to us, in, in no uncertain terms, that we are saved forever. And there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, those of us who understand those things can rest. We don't work, walk around trying to prove to God that we... Uh, or worthy of our salvation, we have already accepted, and we stand on the fact that we're saved forever. We received it as a gift. We didn't receive it, uh, you know, as something we earned. We don't attach it to things that we do, right? See, God, I'm, you saw those works I just did? That ought to recommend me. No, we don't have that attitude whatsoever. We rest on the fact that it's by grace, it's through faith, not of ourselves. Just like the scripture says, we rest. And it's like, uh, you know, after prosecution or, or defense, after they have presented all the evidence, you know what they say at the end of that? We rest our case. In other words, we are presented enough evidence. We don't have any more to say. We're done. And this is what we stand on. It's probably not a good example. But for God to rest his case, when it comes to salvation, you need to read what the scripture says about salvation. So, same thing. So, when it comes to your calling, God needs you not only to rest on your salvation, but to rest on the fact that he called you from eternity past to be in Christ. That this is your destiny. This is who you are. He needs you not, not only to understand that, not only to believe that, like the disciples were struggling to believe it, but to rest on it, to have confidence, to come to love it, all those things. Hope, right? Which know that that is absolutely your destiny, the reality of your destiny. You need to know that. So you're walking around in time, or wherever you are on your job, you're doing this, you're doing that. You, this is, you, this is an abiding confidence that you should have. I mean, for God to tell you things like, yeah, for those he foreknew, those he glorified. If he tells you that there's this unbroken chain that was given by his sovereign grace before time began, you're supposed to develop a confidence around that. And a rest, uh, when they say rest, that doesn't mean you don't have anything to do. It just says that when it comes to the matter of who you are and what is your destiny, you rest on that. That is, you're convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is who you are. So all of these scriptures tell us that. That's, that's what you're supposed to read into this. You're not supposed to, you know, puff out your chest and say, boy, am I something. Look at what I, I mean, you, do you realize who I am, right? Well, well, all those things may be true, but that is not the point. You're supposed to be completely humble and gentle, right? And you're supposed to know that, look, I have humble beginnings. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's not about you. It's about what God did. So it's his works that are championed by us, not ours. 
It's not who we are. It's who he is in the plan that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. When he did that, you weren't around. You, you, you couldn't even think about what choices there were for you. But now that you've read these scriptures, now that you understand this, it should develop confidence in you should develop that hope, just like the apostle had, where he says, in this hope, we are saved. Those who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We're there. That's where we are. We're not hoping that, I hope when I die, I don't know, but I hope, I hope I'm going to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. I'm not quite sure. I'm not really there yet. But you know what? I hope I do. No, we're absolutely confident. Just like Jesus was confident. He says, he who lives and believes in me will know not ever, ever die. I mean, there was no equivocation on Jesus's part about that. And there, there was no, well, as long as you do the right thing or no, he said what the, you had to do. You had to believe non-meritorious faith in Christ and that secures forever with God so God already has that but now do you have it these things are written not so that God can bolster his confidence they're written so that you can use these scriptures to bolster your confidence to build on your faith and your knowledge and your wisdom so that's why it's important for us to look at this that's why Paul's going through this. Well, listen, you may be living in this world and people may criticize you because they don't understand what God's plan is. They're going to come against you and say, no, Israel is the chosen one. Who do you think you are? You don't even have the law. Who do you think you are coming in here saying that you have some status with God? You were raised in heavenly places and united to the person of Christ and the, the fullness of him who fills everything and that you will judge angels and on and on and all things are yours. Who do you think you are to say that? Right? The world is going to be against you. Right? Satan is going to make it so that the world will hate you just like it hated Christ when he said those things and they uh, charged him with blasphemy. They said, we have to kill him because this is a man who made himself equal with God. So he must die uh, under our law, he must die. Pilate said, I, I don't care anything about your law. I, isn't this a Jewish matter? I mean, what, what, what do we care about that? I don't find any fault with this man. So for you, you're going to be in this world. You're going to receive, people will heap insults on you. And it already we already read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where it says that the man who refuses to accept the things that come from the Spirit he, he will say of these things that they are foolishness. You're crazy. That's what they're going to say. That's what they said about Christ. Not only did they say he was crazy, but they said he had a demon. <laughs> Not only is he crazy, but he's demon-possessed. So listen, if they said those things about Christ, and if, if he walked that way, don't think that they won't say those things about you. But if you don't speak the truth, obviously, and you try to blend in with the world, yeah, they won't have much to say about you then. 
If you're championing their causes and their agendas, oh yeah, they'll like you. You, you, you fit right in with what we want to do. But no, you want to speak to truth and love. And this is be ready to answer every man. Listen, we got the scriptures here. We got the spirit of truth. And the documents, like saying we got the documentation for what we believe right here. So it, this is not something that we have made up or, uh, as Peter say, says, that these are cleverly devised stories that we have come up with. This is the word of God. And we got it right here. So you should be developing some confidence. Obviously, you got to learn it. Like I said, just like it said salvation. Before you could rest, you know what? You had to be satisfied that that is what the Word of God said. You didn't just say, well, Doug said it, so that means um, I believe it, and I'm putting my trust in what he said. No, you have to read that for yourself. You have to know that. You have to allow God, Holy Spirit, to teach you those things before you have rest. Same thing here. You have to open up your heart. You have to have humility to say, okay, God, I don't know. I don't know what happened in eternity past. Please tell me. Please show me what your plan is. And there unfolds the scripture. We have opportunity to see it. So let's move on. In our notes, we have a lot to cover, a lot of points. I don't know if we'll get to them all, but that's okay. So who will bring any charge? We already covered that. Against those whom God has chosen? Who? Those whom God has chosen. That's who. Who's those? All the ones we've just been talking about. It certainly can't be God because he's the one who foreknew them. He predestined them. He uh, called them. He, he's the one who did all that. So it can't be God. So is anybody else uh, worthy of your concern about who could possibly take you out of this? No, this, there is no person right, who could come between God and his sovereign grace. So this helps us understand that Paul was speaking in a limited way earlier. So when we say verse 832, we say we know that the whole creation has been groaning and pains of childbirth until the present time. right? So I don't know why I have 832 there. But what I really meant to say was... Um, I think it's 33. No, is it 32? Oh, I'm looking at 22. I'm sorry. It's 32. That's right. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Only reason I add this point is because people who think that this only has to do with salvation... I just want to point it out. No, when you read the context, you see who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. He's talking about the same group that he was talking about earlier. As he And it wasn't just about salvation, although a lot of people will read verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called, he called. They will, you know what they'll say? That's all about salvation. That's all it is. They won't understand the calling. They won't go back and associate all that with the previous context about the sons of God, heirs of God, uh, all the things that the whole creation is waiting for the glory of the children, of, sons of God to be revealed and so forth. They won't associate it with the documentation that Paul has been giving us and building to this point. They won't. So I have to say it. Unfortunately, I, I shouldn't have to. 
But you should know that he's talking about the special group. Now, did he pro provide salvation for others who are not in Adam? Absolutely. He provided salvation for Adam. <laughs> he, uh, he provided salvation for Eve. He, there was salvation before the church age began, and there will be salvation after the church age is over. This is not about salvation. This is about our, our calling, which is unique. Okay, so let's continue on in point B. Many will not agree with the Father's eternal purpose. And in Paul's day, <clears throat> they were vocally and violently against it. Some passages where a charge was leveled and why. So we're going to read a couple of scriptures. Acts 6, the book of Acts, verse chapter 6. Oh no, you know my... My mouse is not working here for whatever reason. I think I'm going to need a battery. Uh, stand by. Ah, here, here it is. Here we go. Oh. So, somebody's going to have to help me. Acts chapter 6. My, my mouse died. Sorry, we're having technical difficulties. Somebody, Acts chapter 6, 11 through 14. I need somebody else for Acts 15, 1 through 5. All right, so let's see. Can you guys help me out here? Ah, come on. Do you mind an ESV translation? Uh, go right ahead. So Acts chapter 6 and what verses? 11 through 14. Okay. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set, and they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Ah, so so you can see what kind of charge was being leveled against them, right? Acts chapter 6, what Dwight read, uh, 11 through 14, clearly say of what they didn't like. They said that here, um, they, they were persuading people, right? Uh, to say blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So what did they want to preserve? They wanted to preserve Israel. They wanted, they did, they were rejecting the mystery and this new dispensation that was given that God had brought at Pentecost. And they wanted to preserve the old way, right? They stirred up people and the elders and the teachers of law. They seized Stephen and brought him, <coughs> brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testify, testified. Uh, this fellow never stopped speaking against his holy place. They wanted him killed. They hated him. And they thought, well, how can we get rid of him? We gotta, it doesn't matter. Even if we got to trump up charges. Remember, they brought false witnesses about Christ. Same thing. Uh, this, and then, so let's keep going. My, Sorry, I got some mouse activity back. We'll go to John uh, Acts chapter 15. Acts 15, sorry about this, I'll fix this later. 
15, 1 through 5, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised against, uh, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, this brought, brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So, uh, and then if you go to verse 5, let's see what they really wanted. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, uh, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the, mo the law of Moses. What did they want to preserve? Israel. I see churches who are trying to bow to Israel today by uh, trying to uh, keep festivals and uh, holy days and uh, try to, you know, keep restrictions and the ways that Israel was were commanded to operate under the law. They think, all right, well, that's the way we should operate, and that's wrong. Right? That is that is not who the church is. So then there is also uh, Acts 18. Let's go there. Acts 18 and verse 13. What does this say? This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God, notice this, in ways contrary to the law. Hmm. Isn't that something, really? So when we speak today, that is what we're saying. We're saying, no, we're not under the law. We're not under those laws. God has something far better for us. It is like, uh, you know, the surpassing glory. It's like what had glory, Second Corinthians chapter 3 says, has no glory now with respect to the surpassing glory. So uh, the Mosaic law might have been a flashlight or a candle, but the sun is out, so God is saying it totally surpasses whatever was the Mosaic Law to what we have today. It is something not only unique, it is spectacular. So point C, the charges are that God made uh, a, a right, the charges are that God made a change that you know they don't like to change uh, to reveal his hidden dispensation. And I got a couple scriptures that I want to look at. 1 Corinthians 9, 17. Let's look at that. We'll go through these quickly. 1 Corinthians 9, 17 says, If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If, I, if not voluntarily, listen, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. And when the word trust is the word that is also translated stewardship. Right? And, you know, so this is what Paul is saying, literally, that he is, he is given something by God, which is this dispensation. It's a trust. And Paul, is, his objective is to be faithful to the, to the calling over his life. And that's what he's saying there in that verse. So also there's uh, Ephesians 1.10. Uh, I'll read that as well. And there's, there's, um, this helps us understand our responsibility. It says, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, fulfillment, to bring to unity all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So that's the objective, right? This is why, what we are working toward, that this is God's eternal purpose, this is part of what we have been called to do as well. Right? This, this is something that we can participate in as we live and breathe, as we know it. And then there's um, Ephesians 3. You already know this one. Uh, 
2 through 4. Um, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace given me, given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And it talks about how it was hidden. It was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And Colossians 1.25, Paul says again, uh, 1.25, it says, basically, uh, I have become its servant. Who's its? The churches. By commission, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God, notice, in its fullness. If all you had was the Old Testament, you do, you do not have the word of God in its fullness. It is the spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth. That all truth is the word of God that is in its fullness. So it's important to see those verses. Also, Ephesians 3, 9. I know we were also uh, see that as well. Let's look at that. 3, 9 says, And to make plain to everyone the administration or the fellowship of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. This is some, these are words that describe something very special for us. This is the, the documentation that there's something new afoot. Uh, point D, we should note that uh, some in the church gave their lives for our way of life. So just know this. This is not something that you should casually just look at and say, yeah, well, we have different doctrines today. Uh, unfortunately, the church has, oh, yeah, the mystery. Let me pull that book off the shelf, the mystery. Yeah, yeah. So you want to talk about the mystery. Let's read some of these passages. And when they're done, they put the book back on the shelf and they continue on talking about Israel. They think that this doctrine is just some new doctrine. But it is not something that overwhelms us, that, that takes us out of everything that we were. They were of the world. We're not of the world anymore. It is something unique. So just note, this, this is what the scripture says. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. That's in Galatians 5, 1, B. And then 2 Corinthians and this is 3, 9, and 12. And this is uh, where, let me just read that. 2 Corinthians 3, 9 through 12. It says this. Uh, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, he's talking about the Mosaic law, right? How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious, here, is, here it is. What was glorious, the Mosaic law, has no glory now. Now, those four words, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory, that's the Mosaic Law. It was really only put in place for a time, right? It wasn't supposed to be forever. It was transitory. It came with glory. How much greater is the glory of that which lasts. In other words, this is not something that we're into that's transitory. This is not something that's temporary. This is forever. It's like we talked about earlier. 
how God the Holy Spirit hasn't infused you with those divine attributes. And then, this is this for now, just temporarily to get you through the battle? No, this is forever. This is for all eternity. So just note that this is important for us to, to keep that in mind. Right? Therefore, verse 12, since we have such a hope, and this is big, what, what is Paul saying here? We are very bold. This is something we need more of. We need to be proclaiming these things. It doesn't matter that people don't understand them. We are in the age where, Paul, like Paul says, it is my objective to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. It is our marching orders as well. This is not something where you're not going to, if, if you, if the world loves you, you're not going to he, hear any hatred or, or opposition to the message you're preaching. But when you start stepping in this territory of what God has shown us, oh, you can hear it all right. Oh, these religious people will react just like they did in the first century. Uh, you, you are then going to have to pick up your cross and follow him. That's going to be your objective. It is 921. I'm looking at the time. Wow. So, but people did give their life for this. We should be very bold, right? We saw that Fred brought the verse in Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Do not let anyone judge you. And when they judge you, you know they're judging you based on what they think is truth. What they think is if they think the Mosaic law is in place, they're going to judge you accordingly, just like we saw in those verses where they made charges against those who were teaching sovereign grace. What got this age? They made. They said, "Well, we don't like it because you're trying to change things." Well, God did make a change, and He put His signal lights on to let people know that He was turning. What signal lights are they? Signs, wonders, and various miracles given by the Holy Spirit. God let everybody know which direction he was going. So we should be, be sure that this is, we stand on sacred and documented ground. This is not something we have to wonder. Well, I hope these things are true that we're talking about. Well, we have the scriptures. We have the word of God and the spirit of truth. So let the world say what they may. But these things, don't let anybody judge you. Remember, people gave their lives for this. This is not something that people say, well, take it or leave it. Whatever you want to do. No, this is not that type of thing. This is the calling. Once you realize that this is the hope of your calling, you have to make decisions around that. You have to be able to go out and speak and, and to talk about the things and express the gifts that God has given you. Be bold in the way you walk. And this is not something that we, we have to be skittish or, or nervous about. We have full documentation that this is what God is saying. Let the challenges come. Let the questions come. We, we welcome them. But it gives us greater opportunity to speak the word of truth. So... I, we won't go over this last part. It is God who's justified. We'll, we'll take it next week. I already see it's after 9. It's 9.23 now. So we, we will quit tonight. But uh, uh just want to wish everybody and your families 
Merry Christmas. This is whatever the holiday is. Just remember, if it is directing people toward God or what God did and and bringing Christ into the world and looking at the detail of how uh, you know there was a census and they had to go to their their region of origin and so forth. You know, this is all the providence and planning of God and bringing his son into the world. These are things we can speak to. You know, this is what we're about. So holidays, no, we may not celebrate them in our heart like the world does, but these are opportunities. Remember, we're pilgrims and strangers in this world, and this is not our home. We're here for a purpose. So every conversation, uh, how we behave toward unbelievers, how we behave toward believers, those things are defined for us in the Word. So, you know, loving the calling that we have. Listen, life is short. Life is short. Not only could Christ come any minute, but we are not promised tomorrow as well. James says our life is like a vapor. We're here for a moment. We're, we're, it's like we see that clearly, but then we look back again, it's gone. So what you do while you're here, that is where uh, you can have impact. You can say what, how uh, you know God affected you while you were here on earth. You know, I was looking, listening to some song earlier, and the song said something like, praise is the way we say thanks to God. And, and I thought about that. And I really said, better love is the way we show thanks. So that to me seems the way we should be trending toward as we come not only to understand what God has called us to, believe what God has called us to, have confidence and love for what God has called us to. So I wish for all of you a blessed Christmas and New Year's and, and peace and health in, in your families and asking that God would continue to challenge you, uh, to give you confidence in, the, in the, not only the salvation that we share, but the marvelous calling, the sovereign grace calling that God has called us to. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for the time you have given us this evening. And I know as we took a little extra time, we pray that each person here uh, will walk away from this study knowing who they are in Christ, understanding the calling that you have called them from eternity past, before time began. And as we think about and meditate on these things, Father. Help us to grow in them and develop that wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. Thank you for those who are on this call, those who have taken their time to, to pull in, to listen, and, and to be a part of this church. We thank you for their participation, for their eagerness, and their questions. And Father, we pray for for that they will continue to grow and, and to flourish. And, and when the, it's over, when, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, they will be rewarded for how they performed while they were here on earth as well.
We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his contribution, uh, his selflessness, the joy that was set before him, how he loved to do your will. We pray that we will have that same spirit as well. All of this we ask in his name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.